So I was up early one morning making um, our kids' lunches as they were as we were getting them ready for school, which included uh, the lunches included a sandwich and some apples and a few other things. Um, and once everything was ready, I opened up uh, one of our kids' lunchbox from the day before, and basically the entire lunch was still there. <laughs> and I was like, "What? What's going on here?" Why, why didn't you eat your apples specifically? Because all of the apples were still there. And he said, you didn't cut them up small enough. Can, can you imagine? You didn't, yeah, you can imagine. There's a lot of, a lot of that not eat. So, so later that day, I was working out with a friend of mine named Matt. And uh, because it's easier to talk than it is to actually lift weights, we spent a lot of time talking. And I was complaining about how picky and difficult my kids can be. Um, and so then this slowly turned into a conversation about what we like to have for breakfast and specifically how we like to eat our eggs. Now, I, I know everybody has a specific idea of how you like to eat your eggs, but I like my eggs sunny side up, which actually can be sort of tricky because if the yolk gets too hard, then it's no good at all. But sometimes when you get the yolk just right, then the, the egg whites right around the edge of the yolk can still be clear and gooey, which is totally disgusting. So what I have to do is I ha carefully have to use the spatula to, to poke the, the white part right around the yolk to allow the heat from the pan to fully cook that part without overcooking the yolk. Are you following me? All right? So this is a very delicate process that takes a lot of concentration. So I can't have the toast popping at the same time, so I have to time it perfectly because if the toast pops while I'm carefully trying to do this, then I might ruin everything. And I can't wait until the eggs are cooked to put the bread in the toaster because then the eggs would get cold while the toast is cooking. So it is a very complicated process that should not be interrupted in any way. And so my friend Matt turns to me and he says, Dude, you are picky and difficult. <laughs> Of course, I know, it's entirely my fault that our kids are picky eaters. Now, um, being a picky eater, I know, is, like, can be super irritating. And our heightened sense, like, we tend to have heightened senses when it comes to food, and our observations are, are sort of over the top. Um, and no doubt, this prevents us for all of you who are picky eaters and myself, this prevents us from, from enjoying and even trying some of the most delicious food that the world has to offer. I get that. Like, I completely understand that. But in defense of picky eaters, we're less likely to die from food poisoning, right? And if we ever find ourselves in a battle of wits where we have to choose between a safe cup and a cup that has poison in it, there's a good chance that we'll probably win. And perhaps our heightened senses will save not just ourselves, but everybody else who's sitting at the table who didn't notice that something was wrong with the potato salad that had been sitting out too long, right? Like there is an advantage to being a picky eater who notices that something may not be worth eating. So Jesus is feeding 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish. And last week, we looked at how these five loaves represent the first five books of the Bible, or the Torah, which is why we're using eating as a metaphor for how we interact with the Bible. So today, as we think about the two fish, I want us to consider 
just how much our world actually needs picky eaters. In particular, related to this metaphor, how much our world needs picky readers of the Bible. Make sense? Okay. So let's listen again to John chapter 6, starting in verse 5. So when Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? And he said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, or a great amount of money, would not be enough to buy bread for each of them to eat a little. And so one of his disciples, Andrew, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make them make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the, fa- the fragments of the, of the five barley loaves, Left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. All right. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, as we talked about last week, we don't come to the Bible just to consume information, as if we're here just for God to download information to us. Instead, we bring ourselves to the table with all of our senses alive. We come to the table to join the conversations with others who are seated there with us. And like kids exploring their world, we are invited to play with our food. To to bring ourselves more fully into the experience. To bring our own stories and our own observations and our own questions to what we're reading in the Bible. This is how our Jewish friends have been reading the Bible for thousands of years. This week I was reading about how black Baptist preachers in their tradition play with the biblical story by referring to their sanctified imagination, according to my sanctified imagination, and then they begin to be creative about what actually isn't in the story, but what could possibly be in the story in order to bring it from there into our very real lives today. So we need our imagination to see how this ancient story written over 2,000 years ago can connect us to what God is doing here and now. So the five loaves of bread represent the Bible, but the two fish, the two fish represent the cultural, economic, and political reality of the world in that particular moment. Two fish that more than likely came from the waters of the Sea of Galilee that everyone there on that mountain can see with their eyes as they look out over the sea. And according to my sanctified imagination, it's possible maybe even likely that someone in this boy's family or community caught these two fish. But instead of these fish going directly from the water to the family, these two fish took, as my parents would say on a Sunday afternoon, the scenic route or the long way home. Because under the Roman Empire, the fishing industry on the Sea of Galilee was a part of what Dr. Alicia Batten calls 
an extractive economy that serves the rich and powerful at the expense of those who are actually doing the work. I don't know, Allison, can you think of an example of how, how that might be happening today? I mean, imagine an oil well in your neighborhood, so close to where you live that it causes health problems in your community. Health problems which put poorer families into medical debt so that they have to work several lower-paying jobs that aren't located in their neighborhood, so that they have to drive several hours a day, which requires them to stop at gas stations several times a week to pay $6 a gallon for that gas, which maybe, maybe came from the oil that was extracted from their own backyard. Also, oil companies can report the highest profits ever. Now, I'm sure that's nothing like these two fish. So this boy's family would have to first pay for the right to fish on the Sea of Galilee. They pay for the privilege of putting their health and their own resources on the line to fish on a dangerous and stormy sea. Once they catch the fish, they deliver them to the south end of the lake, where they are paid very little for what they've caught. The big fish are then sold for an insane amount of money to the rich and powerful. The smaller fishes, the smaller fish, are then processed and dried and then sold back to the people and to the poor communities who caught the fish in the first place. Nothing like what happens today in our economy. So, if we're picky readers of the Bible, we need to be attentive to how often the Bible speaks to the real, everyday experience of the poor and the marginalized. How often? We need to read looking for the inequality. We need to read the Bible looking for the injustice. And we need to notice how often Jesus' words and actions align with those who are hurting and oppressed. So 5,000 tired, hungry, worn-down people come looking for Jesus on this mountain, and the first thing that he does is he feeds them until they are satisfied. But here's the problem. In the fourth century, the Roman Emperor Constantine makes Christianity the official religion of the empire. So all of a sudden, overnight, the Bible, this spiritual meal that was once nourishment and life for those on the outside, nourishment and life for those who were marginalized and in the minority, became a meal for the rich and the powerful, for those with influence, for those with popularity. So for roughly 1,700 years, the West and the United States in particular has been reading the Bible from the perspective of those who have enjoyed the benefits of an extractive economy. What does that do to how we read the Bible? So after all of these years, we have become, I have become an undiscerning eater. I've consumed whatever's in front of me without really thinking too much about what I'm consuming. We have consumed what has been placed in front of us without paying attention to what is being served to us. 
We haven't noticed how far we've come from understanding the Bible's original story of love and concern for those who have little power and little privilege. The vast majority of the Bible is written from the perspective of those who are enslaved or exiled or occupied. That is almost the entire Bible. Which is why I say that we need picky eaters or picky readers today more than ever. For hundreds of years, Western Christianity has come to the Bible and served heavy portions of sexism and inequality. Men are the head of the household, the Bible says. Women aren't allowed to teach or to lead or to have the same jobs, the Bible says. But somewhere along the way, picky readers came to the Bible and they paid attention to that feeling of discomfort in their gut. And instead of choking down the meal served to them, they refused to eat what looked like poison. They refused to eat that gooey part around the edge of the yolk, saying, look how Jesus treated women as equals. Look at how often women lead and teach and point the entire biblical story in the right direction, and look how often men get it wrong. Surely the Bible has a meal, a better meal to offer us than this. So, Anne Hutchinson began teaching and preaching in the earliest days of the American colonies because she was just as good, in fact, better than any of the men who could teach and preach the Bible in that day. Thank God for picky readers like her. For hundreds of years, Western Christianity occupied, colonized, and enslaved people all over the world, feeding themselves on the biblical equivalence of a garbage plate. Do you know what a garbage plate is? Sometimes it tastes good, but it's really not good for you. But somewhere along the line, picky readers came to the Bible, and they paid attention to that feeling of discomfort in their gut. And instead of choking down this poisonous meal, they refused to eat, saying, look at God's rescue of the people from slavery. Look at Jesus' movement of liberation to set the captives free. Surely the Bible has better food to offer us than this. And so Harriet Tubman escaped from her own enslavement and then made over 70 missions back to the plantations to rescue others. Thank God for picky readers like her. For hundreds of years, Christianity has used the Bible to deny the scientific evidence, maybe decades, I'm not exactly sure how this one works, the scientific evidence of our impact upon the environment. For hundreds of years, certainly hundreds of years, if not thousands, Christianity has used the Bible to oppress the LGBTQ community. For hundreds of years, we've been consuming poison, not aware at all of what we've been eating, believing that this is real food. I know that being a picky eater is irritating. Like, I know that I'm irritating. <laughs> but today, more than ever, we need picky readers of the Bible who believe that surely the Bible has better food to offer us than all of that. To believe that Jesus has a spiritual meal that is good, that is just, that is deeply satisfying 
deeply satisfying and healing, not just for us, but for everyone. So Jesus, we pray that you would help us to pay attention as we come to this spiritual meal, as we come to the Bible. Help us to be picky readers who care about those who are hurting, who care about those who are on the outside looking in, who care on, about all of us who desire to be loved and who long to belong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.